Greetings, church and friends of the church. It's uh, January 15th, 2021. We are now 10 months into the season of wilderness, with uh, the wilderness being that metaphorical image we are considering in this series. At this place of being thrust out from, disconnected from what we used to know as normal, and wandering together towards some new normal that isn't yet realized. Um, we're in a physical wilderness still, with the pandemic continuing to hold us away from our old new, old normal and a new and better normal. And, oh gosh, aren't we in just the midst of this political and cultural wilderness too, as you know, the Capitol riot chaos that's still around us reminds us that we are not where we were before, nor are we settled into something good, new, and better. We are not where we want to be. So in this series, we're seeking to use this time in the wilderness constructively, creatively, as we're not monopolized by going through the motions of doing the normal thing. And we have this space, this time to reflect on how our future, future normal together could be better, more just, more peaceful. So we've sought to better understand ourselves physiologically. Why do we do and say the things that we do and we say as we've reflected on and considered these natural physical tendencies that evolved within all of us, the tendencies to fight, to assume negatively about others, to tribalize with those that are like us. We've reflected on how these tendencies tend to take shape collectively in our culture as these, as these destructive isms that uh, counterproductively destroy that sense of belonging, safety, and peace that we actually crave. We've also named the need for a spirituality that counteracts these physical forces. The, the need for a different voice within us, speaking a different vision, story about who we are and about what we ought to do and say. And we've started to consider some different practices that can nurture that spiritual voice within us that helps us to move beyond these physical, animalistic, counterproductive, destructive tendencies. So we've considered the prayer exchange of desires, meditation, mindfulness, gratitude, and in the last episode, and reflecting on Capital Riot, in particular, we considered the practice of seeking honesty, not only in what we say, but also in what we hear, and allowing the honest word and story to be authoritative within our spirit. So in this episode, and in the next, because it's kind of a big one, we consider the sixth spiritual practice, which is seeking intentionally to live within the cycle of accountability. The first half in this episode, second half in the next. The cycle of accountability. So I, I wonder what you imagine when you hear the word accountability. I, I wonder if you tend to think of it as an individual thing because of this just rugged individualism in our American culture. I wonder if you tend to think of accountability as something negative, um, something punitive or legalistic that's all about punishment. I wonder if you tend to think of it as something that someone else needs, but surely not me. Surely I don't need accountability. If only they would find accountability, then all would be well. Well, accountability isn't just about individuals, but it's about the systems of individuals who are connected in community, whether that's children and adults connected in families, adults connected in workplaces, 
for all of us together, um, connected across all the lines that we might draw between one another in towns and states and nations. It's not just something that someone else needs to concern themselves with, but something in which we all must participate for the good of the self and the good of the whole. Accountability, good for the self and good for the whole. It's not about uh, doling out or avoiding punishment. But what, uh, what accountability really is, living in this cycle, is courageously, humbly, honestly seeking to be our best selves as individuals and collectively as a people together who are in these families and workplaces, towns, nations, and world in community. So accountability is not a single act, not just levying a due punishment, but a cycle in which we must all commit to live together as individuals and as these groups of people. And this cycle begins with expectations, just and fitting expectations. So our bodies tell us through these tendencies and impulses um, that the only important expectation is our self-preservation. And so if we had only this purely physical way of defining expectations, it would be the Wild West, everyone for themselves, chaos, complete anarchy. So we have to listen for a different voice telling us how to define our expectations for our families, our workplaces, our towns, our nations, our world. So that it's about finding safety and self-preservation within a collective, rather than ruggedly on our own, proactively together, rather than reactively uh, as an individual. What we have collectively agreed are the expectations for ourselves corporately. What are they? What have we, what have we defined? as our shared expectations. And, and therefore, what are the expectations for each individual within the group in order to bring about that which we expect together? So in families, these expectations take shape as shared goals, shared family goals, and shared family rules. In our family, we expect everyone to live with love and respect for one another and to be healthy and to pursue lives of happiness and meaning and purpose rather than just chasing lives of power, fame, and wealth. And so we have family rules that help us to get there, to, that, to those expectations. In corporations, expectations take shape as you know, mission statements, common mission statements and objectives, and then individual job descriptions become the puzzle pieces that put, put to, when put together make the whole. We expect to accomplish this together as a company. Therefore, everyone has to do their part individually, uh, but collaboratively as we work together toward that shared mission. In towns and states and nations, these expectations take shape as constitutional visions for all the people and as uh, systems of laws and taxes that create the social order of our common life. We expect to be a people in which all have life, and liberty and happiness. So each person must do X and contribute Y. 
the, the social fabric is meant to ensure a greater safety and well-being within community than any one person could make for themselves on their own. The expectations are of a good and just society, and the necessary contributions of each member provide for these shared services toward those ends, like education, roads and other transportation, fire companies, police forces, etc. So at this point, though, we, we have to note and acknowledge that not every family starts with just and fitting expectations. Some families start with unhealthy and destructive expectations. Not every company starts with just and fitting expectations. Some start with selfish and abusive expectations on workers for the sake of a few at the top. Not every nation starts with just and fitting expectations. And we need not look any further than our own nation, which started with expectations that included the subjugation of women and the exploitation of human beings as slaves. However, in the second half of this, in the next episode, we consider how this, this is not a permanent construct. Uh, we're not stuck. That through this collective commitment to living within the cycle of accountability, Families and companies, towns and nations can come to adapt and reform expectations so that they are more just and more fitting. So once some expectations are determined and they are adoptive corporately, and a family or a company or a nation has both um, these senses of shared and uh, individual expectations, the next step within the accountability cycle is, you know, it's really what we considered in the last episode, and that is honesty. There has to be an honest accounting of whether or not individuals are meeting the expectations that were set together for individuals within that system, and an honest accounting of whether or not the systems that were put in place for the sake of our shared expectations are actually guiding us to the fulfillment of those shared expectations. Is each individual in the family abiding by the family rules? And are the systems of rules actually leading us to the shared goals of love and respect and health as we intend them to? If there seems to be a breakdown and there's a lack of love or respect or health, then how is that honestly happening? Is anyone not keeping up their part of the shared commitment? Or are we being faithful to our expectations, but we need to be honest about the ways that those expectations aren't coming to fruition. Maybe the expectation of ice cream and candy for every meal honestly is not a very fitting expectation for a family that says they want to be healthy. In a company, is each individual in the company meeting the expectations of their individual job description? And are the systems put in place to point that company collaboratively toward the shared expectation of, uh, of meeting the company's mission actually working. If someone isn't meeting the expectations of their job description, it is, is it honestly because of a flaw or failing of that individual? Or are the expectations for that individual unfairly onerous? Are, are the systems honestly creating a shared commitment to success? and sharing in the success? Or are the systems of, of pay disparity and high pressure review practices creating resentment and inefficiency and turnover uh, and a vast gap in resources instead? 
What is honestly happening? What's an honest account of the company? Are the citizens of a nation meeting expectations as individuals and as leaders? And are the systems of laws and taxes bringing about life and liberty and happiness for all? Honestly, is everyone working hard, this you know, idolized American virtue? If, and if they aren't working hard, why is that honestly happening? Are they unable for some reason? Are they unwilling or lazy like, like so many uh, wealthy white people like to assume about others? Or if we're honest, are they not working hard because they don't have access to a good job because of a systemic failure rather than an individual failure? Because so many jobs have been automated, outsourced, uh, underpaid, or held away from someone because of their race, gender, creed, or orientation? Are our systems of laws and taxes leading to the common flourishing in American life and liberty and happiness? Or are the systems benefiting far too few and not all? What is an honest account of, of expectations? So once there's been this honest, truthful accounting of whether or not an individual or a collective system is meeting expectations, then the next step in the cycle of accountability is the experience of consequences. Consequences are what we experience when we intentionally or unintentionally do not abide by and meet expectations. We experience two different kinds of consequences, I've come to understand. And it's the experience of consequences and the desire to avoid them in the future that, that help us to learn to think more rationally before we act on what these physical tendencies are telling us to do with impulsivity, to fight, to assume the negative, or to tribalize. Without consequences, we remain in that irrational and impulsive mode of being, guided in life by this individualistic, selfish drive for self-serving and preservation, rather than the, a rational life that understands that the individual finds its greatest assurance of safety and well-being in a community committed to the common good rather than alone. This is often really hard to follow through and to see that our kids, our coworkers, our fellow countrymen and women, our leaders experience consequences, but we must. I don't like letting my kids feel the depth of their consequences. I don't like seeing them embarrassed, guilty, remorseful. But there isn't a child psychologist on the planet that will tell you that kids don't need consequences. Nor, nor is there a CEO who would ever run a company without consequences. Nor is there an historian who has ever or will ever write a story about a nation without consequences for its people and its leaders that ends well. Consequences are an essential part of humanity. And the more we can move past associating them with shame and failure, because they're a part of every single human life. And there will never be a perfect person because perfection is a myth. So the more we can move beyond understanding them within the, this, through this lens of shame and failure, and instead learn to understand them as opportunities to learn and to become better and better together, 
the more we will find peace and well-being. So two kinds of consequences. The, the first is the imposed consequence. This is the specific fine, punishment, retribution that's imposed on the one who broke expectations uh, set by family rules, company policy, local or national law. Imposed consequences say that if someone does X, then Y must happen in response. This is to deter the intentional ignoring, breaking or changing of the rules and expectations to fit one's own needs, desires, or feelings without regard for how that impacts others in the family, in the company, in the town, in the nation, in the world. So this is, you know, extra chores for the children. This is um, being fired or demoted at work. This is being placed on the no-fly list after the Capitol riot or being sentenced to fines or community service or jail time or, or whatever the, the matching um, imposed consequence may be for whatever way someone did not meet an agreed upon expectation. But these interruptions, consequence is a good interruption. It interrupts that purely physical, selfish mode of life where we're just driven blindly by these impulses that give us the pause and the reason we need in order to turn on that rational part of our brain and to actually learn what is true, that there is a better way to live within the family, the company, and the nation than just by my self-preserving impulses, that it is better to live a life within the community together. Consequences make us better. The second kind of consequence we experience is the natural or the organic consequence. This is the experience of the actual fallout, damage, hurt, or hardship that was just the natural result of defying expectations. So in families, this is one sibling who who deeply feels the hurt and the isolation of the other sibling not wanting to play with them because they cheated or they hit. Or uh, this is one spouse feeling the hurt and isolation of the other spouse losing trust and not being willing to connect at the same level. In the corporate world, this is the lack of friendship and support from colleagues who were deceived or abused or cheated. It's the sense that one is now on the outside of that tribe. In our towns and nations, this is the lack of trust that, that follows um, a, a breaking of expectations that makes new relationships and new employment more difficult in the future, even long after the imposed consequence has been served. This could also be at the national level or the, or the global level, that empathetic response that bubbles up within us to the injustice that our system is creating and perpetuating. That empathetic response that says, oh, this hurts, this hurts to see honestly. I didn't know that our system of laws and taxes have made it so much harder for some to reap the rewards of this promise of life, liberty, and happiness than others. 
the natural consequence is often felt in this context of relationships, and it's often more detrimental to the well-being of a person than a temporary or temporal punitive consequence that's imposed. We can suffer most punishments if we know that we still have people who love and support us through it and after it. But it's a far greater consequence to doubt whether those relationships and those people are there for us to fall back upon. But these interruptions in the purely physical selfish mode of life actually give us the pause and the reason we need in order to use that rational part of our brain to, to learn that it is better to be a member of this family or company or nation and to do my part in, in meeting expectations for the sake of the well-being of the all than it is for me to go selfishly rogue and to end up hurting and alienating those others who are actually my source of safety, life, happiness, and well-being in community. Experiencing consequences makes us better. So in this series, we're seeking how um, to live a spiritual life. You know, that's not the same as a religious life. A spiritual life, that is to live with a different guiding voice within us than these voices of our impulsive, irrational, physical defense mechanisms that evolved within us that tell us to be self-focused and selfish by fighting, assuming negatively, and tribalizing with those like us against those who aren't. Now, I've argued that this spirit within us, this counterbalancing, counteractive, life-giving spirit can be understood as the spirit of the golden rule. Do unto others as we would have them do unto us. That that is a spirit and a voice within us that can lead us into these lives that are better and more just and more peaceful. And I've shared that I find this voice in the teachings of Jesus, although the golden rule is certainly not exclusive to him. So his vision of what the best possible life together on earth looks like something he called the kingdom on earth, was a life of community built on love, forgiveness, and the common good. The one keystone expectation that he encouraged all individuals and systems to abide is love for neighbor. He taught that it is only by the truth that we can find freedom, that lies and deception only lead to destruction and ruin, isolation and hurt. So that if we're truly honest about what we hear and say and experience, it will lead us together to a good and free life. He rejected imposed consequences that were inappropriately harsh and were for the sake of only punishing and hurting others with judgment and hypocritical self-righteousness, rather than for the sake of helping um, us all to learn to be better together. He implored people to remember the impact of experiencing their consequences, whether imposed or natural, and to use that remembering as help to not make the same mistake, to not live in that same way again. And when someone didn't meet expectations in a way um, that was detrimental to the whole, uh, whether to the family or the larger community, he instructed them um, to approach that person with both honesty and grace, always leaving room for learning and for those next steps that we'll consider in the next episode, accepting responsibility, seeking rec reconciliation, 
and sharing a new and restored sense of unity. So without this spirit of the golden rule within us, we too easily accept expectations that are beneficial to us but detrimental to others. We too easily are deceitful in our accounting of how we are or are not meeting expectations. We too easily seek to escape from, reject, or defy consequences because our fear that they are a threat causes us to fight against them rather than understanding that they are a good thing that will help us to be better and better together and freely accepting them. Just and fitting expectations, an honest account, the experience of consequences. This is the first half of the accountability cycle that promises to bring us and us together to the best possible version of life. And we will think more about this and do the second half of the cycle, consider it in the next episode. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask, be well, and peace to all.